We are on Yavam Tesem Beis 19b2. And the Gemara right now, we've been dealing with this dispute, this machlokas between Rabbi Shimon and the Chachamim, but what exactly is the case of Eishis Echav Shalom Hayabah of these two brothers who were not alive at the same time, and one of the brothers passed away, and then the other brother is born, whether or not they're obligated to do Yibam. Uh, and so we also quoted a Brisa which had four different cases. And so the Gemara now is going to analyze, uh, we'll see that they'll analyze two of those cases, uh, but it's really going to go into a different topic for the first part of this. It'll go into a different topic uh, based off the certain language of that Brisa. So it's really going to no longer discuss this dispute between Rabbi Shimon and the Chachamim and really discuss a different issue, at least for uh, the first part of this recording. Amar Mar, we were we we previously stated from the Brisa. Amar Asheni Lazus Maimer Bivimto Veloyis Bek Lazus Maimer Bivimto Achenol Lo Ach Vemeis Rishonu Yotzam Mishem Ishes Echav Shalav Olamo Ushnia Ocheletzis Omisevemes. The point here is that the Brisa says that we have a case here where uh, Shimon Shimon is the live brother. He wanted to do Mamar again. Mamar is a rabbinic. Uh, engagement on a Torah level, all you have to do is yibum or chalitza. When your brother passes away without any children, that there's a mitzvah to do yibum to marry your sister-in-law or to do chalitza. On a rabbinic level, they said that you should get engaged first, just like by a, a regular marriage. There's first the halachic engagement, and then there's the halachic marriage. So to over here, they from a rabbinic level, they instituted that you should uh, first have an engagement, which is what we call mamar. So he attempted to do Ma'amar, and the Brayasa says that at first he attempted to do Ma'amar, he wasn't able to do it. And then it has its various ramifications, which we dealt with in yesterday's recording. But the Gemara's question is, my Amaru my Lo Hispik, why, why does the Brayasa tell us that he wanted to do, uh, he wanted to do Ma'amar, and then he wasn't able to do Ma'amar? Who cares? The Brayasa should have just said, he, he didn't do Ma'amar. In the end of the day, he did not do Ma'amar, they didn't get engaged, this is a rabbinic engagement. If he did mamar, he did mamar. If he didn't do it, he didn't do it. Who cared? Why do we care that he wanted to do it and he wasn't able to do it? What's the difference? So it's really to teach us something, really a side, a side issue, a very interesting side issue. What does it mean? The question is: This was the case. The case was where. The live brother, he wanted to do Yibam. The sister-in-law did not want to do Yibam, did not want to, or Mamar, we're discussing Mamar here, wanted to have this rabbinic engagement. The sister-in-law did not want to go through this rabbinic engagement. And the question is, are you, is he able to force it? Is he, is he allowed to uh, forcibly do Mamar so that there's a rabbinic engagement? And so, Rabbi Shimon is of the, uh, sorry, the Brysa is of the opinion that uh, it does not work. Even if you were to attempt to do it, it would not work to force uh, the uh, the sister-in-law to go through this rabbinic engagement. Now, I just want to make a few points with regards to this uh, because it sounds uh, strange that we would allow uh, a forced engagement or a forced marriage through Yibam. Uh, and just to explain the idea a little bit, it's not that we encourage it or we're, we're for it or that uh, we would ever tell somebody to force somebody the brother-in-law to force the sister-in-law to go through the yibum or to go through uh, the rabbinic engagement of mamar. That's not what we're saying here. We would not encourage it. But the point of the Gemara is to say, well, what happens if they go went against they went against 
what we said. And they did force it anyways. They forced an engagement anyways. They forced um, a yibam anyways. Uh, so if they did that against the will of the sister-in-law, so then the question is, would that be a valid yibam? Would that be a valid uh, rabbinic engagement? Uh, the truth is, as we're going to see later on, that the same thing is true even in the opposite direction. That if she were to force him, if she would be able to force him uh, to go through the act of mamar or through yibam, which is sexual relations for yibam, uh, so then it would also be a similar question. It would be the same question. Would it work? Would it, would it not work? And for yibam, it would also work. And the idea of it working, even though we don't encourage it, we certainly don't encourage it and we, we're against it, um, but the reason why it does work in the end of the day, at least for Yibam, everybody's in agreement that it works for Yibam, is not because we, we want it and we encourage it, we're against it, but the idea is really reflecting how close of a relationship they already have, which really reflects some of the ideas we've been discussing uh, for the past, uh, past week or so. That when the brother passes away, there's already a Zika, there's already such a strong connection between the brother-in-law and sister-in-law, it's sort of like automatic, there's already an automatic connection. So it's not like Yibum is starting a process. It's starting the marriage. Really, it's the completion. It's the end of the process. And since it's the end of the process, so that's why very little needs to take place. They already have that connection. They're already viewed as married, according to some opinions. Zika uh, Kiknusa. Some say that they're already viewed as married. And so it just requires a little bit more just to complete the Yibum process. And so therefore, it would even work, according, definitely for Yibum, it would work against uh, against her will or against his will, uh, but it doesn't mean that it's something that we uh, that we that we're for. We're against. We're we're against uh, forcing uh, uh, forcing yibum or forcing a rabbinic engagement. Okay, that's that's uh, the point that I wanted to mention. But going back to the Gemara, we have this dispute whether or not by mamar it actually works or not. Does it work to force the sister-in-law to go through this rabbinic engagement? And so this is a dispute between Rebbe and the Chachamim, whether or not it works. What is this dispute based upon? What are they arguing about? So the Gemara is going to tell us in the next couple of lines exactly what they're arguing about. Uh, but we'll just say it outside. The question is, what exactly is Mamar? What is it parallel to? Especially if it's only rabbinic Mamar. There's a discussion if this is also true for the biblical, um, for a biblical Mamar, if there's biblical ramifications for Mamar. But certainly if it's rabbinic. What do they make it parallel to? Because we're on the track of Yibam, so do we continue it onto the track of Yibam to say that just like Yibam, everyone's in agreement that works, that would work if it was against her will. Uh, so then, so too for Ma'amar, that should work against her will because it's on the same track of Yibam. Or do we say that, no, since this is a rabbinic engagement, it should follow what other engagements are like, other types of Kiddushin, and not in the context of Yibam. And engagements which are not in the context of Yibam, those certainly require uh, consent from both parties. And so both parties have to agree to that. Uh, it's, uh, they, they're changing their status from being single to being married. That requires, um, that requires uh, consent from both, both parties and agreement from both parties. And there's also, Rashi explains here that it's based off of Pasuk. The verse also says that, uh, that they need to have, uh, both parties need to have uh, consent and agreement that they are getting engaged. So do we say that this rabbinic en- engagement, which will ultimately lead to Yibam, is a parallel to Yibam, where it could be it could be forced, it will work if it's forced, or do we say that it's parallel to any other type of engagement, not in the context of Yibam, where we say that we require her knowledge. So that's what the dispute is based upon, as we'll see in the Gemara. My time is the Rebbe, what's the opinion of Rebbe to say that it works? 
Just like when it comes to Yibam, it works against her will. Not that we encourage it again. And we are against it. But so too, it would work. So too for Kiddushin, if so too this rabbinic engagement would also work against her will. The other opinion, the Rabbanon, the majority says that no, you need her consent for it to work, just like any other engagement outside the context of Yibam. Sigmar says, but my commentary, what are they arguing about in the end? What principle are they arguing about? That one opinion says that we learn a Yibam, this is all within the track of Yibam, so we have to learn the rabbinic engagement from Yibam. Or do we say that no, since we're dealing with engagement, so then we can learn it out from other forms of engagement where we require their consent and agreement. Okay. So that is the end of that discussion. We have a little bit more to do in this recording. And as I said in the last recording, I would like to get up to the Mishnah, which is going to discuss a whole new topic. Uh, so we'll discuss, we'll, we'll leave some of the Gemara uh, for an additional short recording uh, for Sunday. We'll have one more short recording for Sunday. So the Gemara now analyzes a different line in the Brisa. Again, we're recording from the Brisa, which is from the times of the Mishnah, a Brisa um, which had four different statements, and we're going to analyze a different statement here. And it's really something which we actually covered outside a little bit in the last recording, but it spells it out uh, somewhat clear in this in this uh, in the Gemara as we're about to see. Also, Balmaimer, the case is as follows: Reuven passes away without any children, and he has his wife Rachel. Reuven is married to Rachel. Uh, Shimon does Ma'amar. Shimon is the live brother. He does Ma'amar. This rabbinic engagement. And then afterwards, Levi is born. Levi is born after Shimon did this engagement. Or it's flipped. Or Levi is born and then Shimon does this rabbinic engagement. Either way you go. The mace, after the rabbinic engagement, whether it's before or after Levi is born, Shimon dies. So what do we say? According to the first opinion, we say that Levi vis-a-vis Rachel, who is Reuven's wife, so totally, totally exempt because Levi is viewed, according to the first opinion, is viewed as a a non-contemporary brother. They're not alive at the same time. And so therefore there's a total exemption to Reuven's wife, who is Rachel. However, when it comes to, Le- uh, to Shimon's wife, Shimon was married to somebody else. So for that, we say to do chalitza. So we analyze that at the time. We're not going to get into it now. Rabbi Shimon Omer, however, Rabbi Shimon says, that you just have to do, as long as you do or chalitza with Shimon's wife, as we're going to see, uh, so that exempts uh, anything, that exempts Rachel, that you don't have to do anything with Rachel with Ruvain's wife. As long as you do or chalitza with Leah, who is Shimon's wife, so then there's a total exemption from Rachel. So the Gemara wants to know, we gave two different cases. So which case is Rabbi Shimon referring to? We gave two cases. One case is where Levi is born after Shimon did the engagement, the rabbinic engagement, and one case is where he was born before Shimon did the rabbinic engagement. So the question is, what case is he referring to? Rabbi Shimon, Ahakai, which case is he referring to? So it says, if it's where Levi's born before Shimon does Mimer, we just stated in the last recording we mentioned, the conclusion was that Rabbi Shimon holds that any time where Levi is born before Shimon is able to do 
either the rabbinic engagement of Mamar or to do the actual Yibum, we say that Levi vis-a-vis Rachel is viewed as a non-concurrent, uh, uh, it's, they're not alive at the same time with regards to the brother, and so their brother meaning Ruvain, Rachel's wife, Rachel's, sorry, Rachel's husband, and so therefore Levi and Rachel, there's a total exemption. So if there's a, it would be a, a total exemption from, uh, from Yibam. So that cannot be the case that we're discussing here. Because since there's a total exemption, and then Shimon did Yibam, no, sorry, Shimon did Mamar, sorry to confuse you, Shimon did Mamar, so therefore, perhaps Shimon's wife, Leah, and Rachel, Reuben's wife, Rachel, are co-wives because they had this rabbinic engagement. So we would say, if this would actually be the case, we would say, don't do Yibam to Leah, because they're co-wives, don't do Yibam to Leah. So the case must be where Shimon did Ma'amar, did this rabbinic engagement to Rachel before Levi was born. And then Levi's born, and then if that's the case, okay, that's Rabbi Shimon's case, where we say, Levi's born after Ma'amar, and so Shimon now, it's like he has two wives, he has Leah and Rachel, or at least it's unclear, it's unclear for, for Shimon whether Shimon has two wives, Leah and Rachel, it's, uh, it's a question, and so therefore it makes sense that you should do, um, you could do Yibam Rechalitza to Leah, and that will exempt uh, Rachel. And the Gemara then qualifies the next statement of Rabbi Shimon, Lo nifterat tsara. What does that mean? My time of mishum to have a tsara vade balas maimer safek vein safek motimidevade. So again, the the case that we're discussing, it's the same exact case that we were discussing before, uh, but the case that we were discussing is as follows. It was the case where we did maimer, the same case, uh, and there's a question whether or not the maimer actually works to make Leah and Rachel into co-wives. Do we say that they're co-wives or not? And so. If, the point is that, the idea here is that if they are viewed as co-wives, so then Levi, after Shimon passes away, Levi could do Yibam with Leah, with Shimon's original wife, and that will exempt Rachel, because Leah and Rachel are co-wives, so that would exempt Rachel from doing Yibam Rachelitza, because Levi did Yibam with Leah. If they aren't viewed as co-wives, so they don't have that connection, they aren't viewed as co-wives, so then... Uh, we would say that all all Levi has to do is Yibam or Chalitza with Leah. And vis-a-vis Rachel, since they're not viewed as co-wives, so then Rachel is still viewed as Ruvain's wife. If Rachel is still viewed as Ruvain's wife, so then Levi certainly, even if it was after Mamar, Levi does not have to do anything with Rachel because there's a total exemption of Yibam or Chalitza because they're not born, they're not alive at the same time. So whichever way you go, whether they're co-wives or they're not co-wives, you won't have to deal with Rachel. You don't have any obligation to Yibam Rechalitza with Rachel. It's just with Leah. Either Leah exempts Rachel or Leah is alone. Leah is the only wife and then you just deal with Leah. And that is the logic behind the Gemara. Okay, we will stop here with the Gemara. And again, we have just a little bit more. But I'm going to save that uh, for uh, right before, on Sunday before Yom Kippur. And uh, this was an interesting Gemara. The first half of it discussed this idea of whether we require consent uh, for... Uh, the rabbinic, the rabbinic form of yibum, the idea of ma'amar. Do we parallel? Do we make a parallel to yibum, or do we make a parallel to any other form of an engagement?